welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Lucas Stock. And I am Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. We are excited to have you, and we hope that you'll continue to join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. We are covering, it's been, I feel like this is kind of a big day that we're covering predestination, uh, free will, election, kind of a variety of things within that sort of those, those, that cluster of doctrines and, and um, you know, ways of understanding the way that our will and God's will interacts and all this kind of stuff. Um, we're kind of approaching things a little broadly, trying to cover as much as we can in a short time. So, you know, we, I'm sure lots will miss or things will focus on more than others. But I'm excited to talk about this because for a couple of reasons. One, it was a request uh, that we cover it. So I'm happy to always happy to do that. And also, I feel like it's been a while since we've had an episode like this. I'm trying to think of the, what I would consider the last one, where we're really just sort of trying to tackle something that's pretty big. I don't you know, know maybe like mean? the the descent or something. I feel like the descent episode was yeah, pretty maybe. huge. Yeah, like like I said, not just a huge topic, but but a broad topic as well. We're, we're going to try and cover kind of everything under the umbrella that we might call predestination. We're not necessarily going to just talk about salvation or we're not necessarily just going to talk about free will, but these things are all kind of interrelated. Um, and I think that it makes a lot of sense to tackle them together, uh, but that does mean it's kind of a big task. But besides just being a lot to cover, it's, it's sort of a, a complex... Uh, very nuanced, very like like it's it's a topic that requires a lot of us, I think, uh, mentally to kind of tr- attempt to wrap our minds around something that is quite big and complicated. And and you know, like all our episodes, this will certainly not be the be all end all, but especially episodes like these where we're trying to cover kind of big points of of doctrine or or um, you know theology that. That, that, you know, has been talked about and continues to be talked about and written about, you know, for the entire history of the church. So there's, what I'm trying to say is there's lots to cover, so we, we should stop dilly-dallying um, and kind of just jump into it. So we, we haven't talked, we've each prepared, obviously, but we haven't really talked about what we prepared so much as we wanted to try and approach this cluster of topics in as conversational a way as we can to sort of see what what rises up as the most important points, right? So when we're talking about, I don't know what we've called this episode, but predestination, election, free will, um, I feel, I don't know. I don't know. If the, anything. the decrees of God. Uh, decree, you know, God's, God's eternal decree, you know, whatever we want to kind of say, like what, what, I don't know, like where would you want to start a conversation like this, I guess? Yeah. Like, like, just, just, to, just to sort of get it kicked off, and we'll see what what we end up covering in terms of history or or Bible or whatever. But like, where where do you want to start? Right. Well, the thing that we need to first understand is that we're dealing with an eternal God, a God that is outside of time, a God that that to use words that we've already kind of said, a God that wills, uh, a God that decrees, a God that uh, set time into motion, a God who created. 
Um, and so as creatures in this world that was created who live within time, um, how do we understand our interaction with this God in the world, in the cosmos, uh, in eternity? And so all of this all sort of like is interconnected. Like you're saying, this, this is a very big topic. It's, it's, it's a grand topic. Um, and it's one that it's a, it's a difficult one to, to tackle, but I think, um, at the outset, maybe the best place to just kind of start is, is the beginning is, is starting at, um, you know, thinking about Genesis, thinking about what, what God did in creation, um, and even in the moments before creation, what 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 did it look like in eternity past for a God who's always existed um, to exist prior to the establishment of the earth and the moon and the sun and the stars? Uh, what was you know what was the relations of the Trinity? What was um, what was His will prior to there being uh, agents to also have wills to be morally culpable? Um, it, it's it, you know. It, our, our tiny finite brains can sort of like have a difficult time even conceiving of such a thing because we're outside or we're, we're inside this world. We're not outside of it. It's hard to think about what it, what it looked like for God to exist prior to um, having created. But um, in creation, um, in a sense, he, he, he instilled his will into the world. Um, he acted and um, with our, with our four, parents, if we want to, you know, Adam and Eve, we'll call them our, you know, the ones that, that came before us. Um, he had a will, he had a, um, I don't know, a preceptive will, so to speak, one where he, he gave them precepts, he gave them rules or, uh, laws or commands, whatever you want to call them. Um, but it's basically God's desire for how humanity was to live. I mean, you know, be fruitful and multiply, don't eat of this fruit, um, or think of like Ten Commandments a little bit later, for example, or some of Jesus's teachings in the New Testament. Um, God has a, a will for how we as humanity ought to act. Uh, if you want to think of this just like very plainly and simply, if you're a parent, you have a will for how you want your children to live and to behave and to act. Um, you know, you don't want them to do certain behaviors and you want them to do other behaviors. So maybe you don't want them punching their siblings um, but you do want them doing their homework. Um, in a sense, that is your preceptive will. It's one that you are laying out precepts and you are wishing and willing that your progenies, so to speak, will will obey. Um, and uh, that, so that's that's one theological term, preceptive will. Another one that theologians will use is his decreative will. Uh, so this is God's will of decree. Um, so think like Ephesians 1.11, where it says, In him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. Um, so in some sense, God has this overarching plan, this overarching will for creation, for the cosmos, for humanity, and God is working all things he works everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. And as we continue this conversation, like obviously some of the uh, the questions that arise are like, well, what is evil? Like, how does evil play into that? How does sin and death and wickedness, how do those things fall into uh, a good and loving and sovereign God? How do those things, inter, you know, have interplay? 
Um, but God's decretive will includes random events. Um, so think of like when in the Old and New Testament, people cast lots, for example. Um, God knows how that dice is going to fall or how that, you know, who's going to draw the short straw, so to speak. Um, one example, and I guess this is something I failed to mention in the beginning, is that it's not like when we approach scripture, it's not like in Deuteronomy, we're just going to see, and this is God's decretive will where he is saying this and this. Like so much of what we are talking about um, comes from scripture's teaching, comes from historical narrative, comes from, um, it's, it's, it's a very, it's, it's a biblical theology. It's taking the, the whole totality of scripture um, and, and seeing what is being communicated. So I'll just, again, I'll give you an example. In 1 Kings 22, um, especially verse 34, uh, but here, like the Assyrians, I believe, are um, coming after Israel. And so starting in verse 32, it says, when the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they shouted, he must be the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him, but Jehoshaphat uh, cried out. When the chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a man drew his bow without taking special aim and struck the king of Israel through the joints of his armor. So here's a story where, again, the, the king seems to be in hot pursuit during a, a battle. Um, they think that Jehoshaphat is the king when, in fact, he wasn't the king. Um, so they decide to withdraw. But this random bowman, again, without taking any special aim, so it's not like he's fixing his sights on anybody. It's almost as if he's just, like, shooting a random bow up into the air or something, and it happens to actually strike the king of Israel through the joints of his armor, and I believe he perished. So, like, this this seemingly random event, this seemingly random act, um, in some sense, was part of God's decreative will. Um, you know, maybe we want to think of, for uh, my last example here, uh, Acts 2.23. Uh, this is uh, very early on, I think, in Peter's discourse, but he says, um, though he was delivered up, According to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. So if, if there were any verse in the Bible, this is one that shows that, that very um, dynamic tension between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Because we see that Jesus Christ was delivered up according to God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge. So we have some very theological words there. God's determined plan and foreknowledge, and then literally mere mere words later, he says, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross. So in some sense, human action, the, the will of humans was played out, things took place, things transpired, uh, but Peter, I believe it's Peter, Peter's saying, but what took place was predetermined, was foreknown. Um, and so again, uh, as we go further into this, we'll kind of explain what some of this means maybe, but how, how does that work? D does, it, does this mean that we have no true will? Does that mean we're actually not free? Um, does this mean that all actions are already known and we really, it's, it's just almost like a fatalism? Um, how, do we, how do we think about our, um, you know, my random act of kindness? Uh, was that predetermined and just supposed to happen and, and it happened because it was decreed to happen? Um, so I don't know if there's anything that you want to say here before we continue, but that's that's sort of like where I wanted to start is talking about the wills of God, both his um, decreative, the things that like are just that we could call them the the foreknowledge, the predetermined plan, but 
but then there's also his preceptive will where it's him you know giving commands uh this is it it's him wanting somebody to act in a certain way um because he's you know decre- decreed it to be that way does that if that makes sense or maybe you have a better way of saying that no i think that that definitely makes sense and i think that that's i want to continue down this path i think because that's probably one of the biggest questions or or at least if not one of the biggest i think one of the most potentially confusing or even kind of like frightening <laughs> depending on how we think about it questions um that that you you raised right there at the end so like we're we're saying or or I say we're saying the Bible is saying that, you know, from the beginning of time, from before time, you know, God foreknew uh, and for for foredetermined or <laughs> predetermined to um, deliver Christ Jesus up. So then what what do, what do we say? Like you said, what do we say about our wills? What does that mean? Um, do do whether it's something small like, you know, I, I chose to put this specific shirt on when I put my clothes on today does that did, did I choose to do that am I basically like are we robots and I think that this is where there's there's some really important um clarification I think that that needs to come from um both the way we talk about the the way that humans and God interact but also the way that uh the Bible talks about God's foreknowledge his his predestination and and that kind of that kind of language and um it's funny i was going to talk about romans here but this morning at at church we're recording this on a sunday um our sermon was was on ephesians 1 and i was like man this is perfect (laughs) for what we're going to be talking about it's almost like it was uh predestined to be that way (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) Um, so without reading Ephesians 1, I wanted to kind of run through some some of the highlights. So I think some of the key points um, to with the intention of so for, if, if you don't remember or, or you're not familiar with Ephesians 1, this is kind of like one of the big parts of the Bible where these ideas, predestination, election, that kind of thing are really laid out. Like Paul spends a lot of time at the beginning of Ephesians talking about these things in pretty you know, in-depth language, like, like he, he's not talking, of, he's not mentioning this in passing. He's, he, a, a, as part of his, his, uh, you know, address to the Ephesians, he's highlighting um, this thing that God has done, or this thing that has happened to the Ephesians and to Paul uh, in Christ by God, you know. And so the reason I wanted to point this out is, is precisely to get at the question of, are we robots, so if God is if God is the Almighty Eternal God who has predestined stuff, he's, and He's predestined things about my life, does that mean I do anything? And I think that what what Paul is saying and what Paul is not saying in this passage in Ephesians one Ephesians one is really helpful for answering that question. Um, so I'll, I'll run through these highlights and then kind of give my couple thoughts. So um, Paul tells us that God chose us. Um, chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. So this, you know, I think of in Revelation, the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world, right? Um, Jesus wasn't literally on a cross before creation. That doesn't make any sense. But um, this is not something that was new for God. You know, 
this, what does that mean? I think part of it at the very least is that um, he, he, because he predetermined and foreknew uh, the events of the crucifixion and the events leading up to the crucifixion um, in, in a similar way, he chose us, he, he foreknew us, he predestined us to be um, his, his children before the foundation of the world. And again, we can speak in this way exactly because he is outside of time. He, he in this, it, at least in the sense of he's the creator of time. He's not, he's not stuck in moment to moment time the way that we are because he's not finite. He's infinite. Um, and what, what that choosing was, Paul says, is that in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And this was part of his his big overarching will, Paul says, is he was going to, what, what he was working towards is the summing up of all things in Christ. So every, everything comes together in Christ. You know, we, it's, been, it's been a while, but we always talk about uh, Colossians 1 and how um, uh, everything was made by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ, and everything holds together in him. And, and that, that's what God's, Pre, predestining and predetermining will is all about is what Paul is telling us in Ephesians 1 and we're given assurance and confidence of our uh, 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 his choosing of us and his his adopting us as sons according to what he's predestined by being sealed with the Holy Spirit Paul calls that calls the spirit the pledge of our inheritance right and the point of all of this, is that Christ is given as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what Paul's, Paul is laying out God's predestining, foreknowing, choosing um, of, of the church as uh, the adopted sons and daughters of, of Christ or, or of God through Christ. Um, and what Paul is telling us is what this was. It was his love bringing us into the body of Christ to be the fullness of God himself. The body of Christ is the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is not God making a bunch of robots. This is, this is not like what, what Paul is not telling us is that God made you choose the shirt you're wearing today as opposed to the other shirt that you didn't pick, right? Um, that's not what Paul is concerned with, and that's not what God appears to be concerned with, in the sense that the will of God in, in choosing us before the foundation of the world is to deliver Christ to the church, right? And, and to, to bring us into the body, um, which, we are, which is proven to us by the Spirit being given to us as a pledge, of our inheritance so that all things can be summed up in Christ. It's not to say that Paul is, you know, it, Paul's not addressing the, the question of things like a, an archer shooting a random arrow. And he's not suggesting that that's outside the view of, of God's will. And that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that what God has told us about what it means to be chosen in him before the foundation of the world is not that he's made a bunch of robots that he's predetermined what's going to happen so there's no point for us to do anything or to try 
or to, you know, expect any, you know, expect to have any agency in our life, right? Which I think, like you mentioned fatalism earlier, I think is a temptation or a danger when we talk about predestination and things like that in a certain way that I would argue misunderstands what predestination is really all about. Um, because it's not about fate, right? It's not about um, the outcomes of all of our choices being unrelated to us or, or even that we don't even have choices, right? And, and another reason we know this is true is the way that, that, that people, that God's people are consistently presented in Scripture as having the choice and the responsibility to choose, you know, choose life or death this day. Repent or don't repent. It, you know, receive the grace of God or reject him, right? Eat Obey the fruit, don't, don't eat the fruit. Like <laughs> Eat the fruit, don't eat the fruit. To, to say that human beings have no agency, I mean, to me, you know, I'm sure there's, there's, there's people who are way smarter and know way more about philosophy than I do that, that, that would prove me wrong here. But it, it seems just absurd to look at the way that, the Bible talks about human beings acting in the world and not come away with an understanding that human beings act in the world, right? That they, they legitimately are acting. And this gets into the question of free will, right? And I'm going to say, of course we have free will, you know? Of course we choose whether or not to obey God. Of course we choose whether or not to love our neighbors as ourselves, of course, we choose to, you know, yell at our spouses instead of speaking in kindness when we're angry, you know, or, or, or choose to speak in kindness instead of, instead of yelling when we're angry, you know. Um, of course, we have free will. But we, we have to understand what that means. Mm-hmm. We have to understand what it means to be free and, and more specifically what it means for, for a sinful human being a sinful human heart, a fallen human nature to be free or, or for us to be free as beings who have these fallen natures, natures, right? And, and I think that this is where, you know, again, Paul is really helpful with uh, in Romans because so it stopped me if I'm going off the rails or, or if, if you have anything to, to interject, but um, we're not, we're not just these like autonomous little mini gods floating around able to just exert whatever we want on the world around us, right? Um, we're limited. So of course we, we have the freedom to choose, but we are, we are enslaved to sin. So we're not absolutely free the way that God is free, right? Because we are limited and hemmed in and chained by our sin. So we're capable of freely choosing that which we're sort of bound to, what, you know, what we're, what we're enslaved to. So we freely choose sin, but we can't in the same way freely choose life because we are already enslaved to sin, right? We are already dead in our trespasses so that we need God's grace which is outside of us, which is not something that we can on our own, you know, initiate or or choose or whatever. We need that to set us free. 
And, and in Romans 6 and 7, Paul's talking about this. He says, while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. And his argument is that by being baptized into Christ's death and therefore buried with Christ, God has made us die to the law through the body of Christ. So again, in Christ, this in Christ language from Ephesians 1, um, we might we, we die to the law through the body of Christ so that we might be joined to another. To who? To him, Christ, who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. And this is what the good news is, is that we, we are enslaved to sin. And so all of our choices are limited. What we are able to choose is limited by the fact that we are sinners. And God breaks in just as he has always determined to do what he's always known he was going to do to set us free by burying us with Christ in death and raising us to new life to bear fruit for him as we join the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all things as God sums everything up in Christ, right? So you see this really grandiose, beautiful picture of what it means for God to predestine us. It's not this fatalistic, you know, puppet master. It's this magnificent, almighty, loving father who has always determined to work for our good from, the, from before the beginning of time, right? And that, that means that we don't need to rely on ourselves to save ourselves because A, we can't, we're enslaved to sin, we're dead in our trespasses, but B, again, being sealed by the Spirit, we know that God, who is trustworthy because he is almighty and is consistent and is love, has, has done it for us, right? Um, so, so obviously we have free will, we're not robots. We all know this because we've all made choices before. <laughs> but we also all know that we do what we don't want to do. You know, that, that, that's also in Romans 7. We know what's right, but we choose what's evil. You know, we know what's evil, but we can't help ourselves sometimes. And, and that's, even for Christians, that's the, the reality of, of being um, bound by the limitations of our sinful natures, right? Which has been put to death in Christ, but we still live here. So we're still, uh, we're still affected by the, the results of that, right? Um, and I think that that's really important, not because God is so small that he doesn't control, you know, he doesn't, you know, feed all the sparrows and knows every star by name and can count the hairs on our head. But because what he's doing and what he's interested in isn't puppet mastering us. It's, it's adopting us as sons in Jesus Christ. Um, and I think that that's a, it's a helpful way of approaching the question that I think is a more, it's more faithful to the way that the Bible approaches these things. Not that we necessarily understand everything or, or that there, there aren't more questions related to what I just said, but that it helps us ask the right questions, I think. Instead of hearing, oh, predestination, that's just like fate. So life is worthless because I don't do anything. That's not what, that, that, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what God has told us he's doing. So we don't need to believe that, right? We don't need, we don't need to look at it that way because we know that he's told us that's not what's going on. Um, so I don't know what, I don't, I don't know where you want to go next, it, you know, whether that's just responding to something I said yeah. or, or, or if it leads into to anything else that, that is, um, 
you know, of particular interest or particularly helpful here. Yeah. So I'm still, I, I, as we've been talking here, you know, different ideas are rolling through my head. I'm still, these are things you got to wrestle with because it is in some sense, there is a tension, as we said, there's like that, that X passage, especially where there's God's uh, determined foreknowledge, his plan that was decreed and human action, human responsibility, the, the, the will being exerted, they're the ones that crucified Christ. Um, so how, how those two things play together. And, and, and as you alluded to, you know, that's one of those great philosophical, I think, questions that if you ever took like a philosophy 101, you sort of, you know, wrestle with sovereignty and human responsibility or whatever. Um, but as we're saying, I mean, scripture teaches on one hand, God's will for humanity. Um, it's not his, it's not necessarily the full will um, and what I mean by that is I think I think there's a, a theological term known as like the secret will of God. Um, and this is part of his eternal foreknowledge, his his, uh, you know, before the world was even created, the the things that he uh, had planned, because we don't know all the time why certain things happen. We don't know why our loved ones are stricken with cancer and sickness and death. We don't always know why whatever certain event has happened in your life happens. Um, that's not to say there isn't a reason. It's not to say that it was pointless. Um, but sometimes there is a greater cause or a greater purpose that has yet to be revealed to us in this life. Um, and we've never been promised to know everything here and in this life. Uh, but we do know, and the promises of scripture tell us that um, that all things do work together for good. I know that's sort of like that like cliche passage that's sort of like thrown out as a as a band-aid from time to time. Um, but I think that there is at least some comfort offered there that um, despite like think about, for example, Paul. think think of all the things that happened to him, you know, shipwrecked a night and a day at sea, being beaten, being stoned, being whipped, um, being persecuted for the gospel, eventually dying for the gospel. Um, yet he was able to write, you know, all things happen. All things work together for good for, you know, for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, and what that means is for the Christian, um, sickness, death, bereavement, uh, whatever befalls us, uh, though, though incredibly difficult, though sad, though obviously nobody would wish those things upon us, um, they happen. And in some sense, there is greater good that, that comes through it. And again, maybe we'll find out in this life, maybe we won't. small example just to give you like a tangible um, thing to look at like in my own life when I was 24 diagnosed with type 1 diabetes um, it was it was pretty like it it like overturned my my whole world I mean we're talking about diet and habits and the things that I cared about the things that I like to eat and drink and do Um, like suddenly all of it was sort of in flux and I was learning to like well, I was sort of like forced to eat new foods that I hadn't really had before, um, you know, cut out other types of foods um, for a while. I was just like, why would this happen to me? I'm, I'm 24. Normally you get type 1 diabetes when you're really young. Um, and so for me, I'm like, man, what? Like, God, why is this happening? Why, did, why is this happening to me? Why is it happening now? And maybe I don't know the full scope. Maybe I don't know the full picture. Um, but I've certainly learned in the last two-ish years that I've had type 1 diabetes that like it has helped sanctify me in a few ways. It, I mean, it literally, quite literally is a denial of my own flesh. Like 
when I want that bag of Swedish fish or, you know, Sour Patch Kids, like I literally have to deny myself and say, no, I can't have that because if I have it, my blood sugar is going to be way too high. So like in some senses, I've seen even my physical type one diabetes diagnosis as like uh, even a spiritual reality too, like that spiritual reality of um, denying ourselves our fleshly um, sinful desires, whatever they may be. Um, and so like, again, that's one small window into this greater conversation that we're having, uh, that we're having. And, and we've already sort of talked about determinism. We've sort of talked about fatalism. Um, we've talked about these sort of like problematic conclusions. If you take these things too far, um, because again, determinism is like, it's basically to say that human beings have no free will and therefore cannot be held morally responsible for their actions. Because if everything is already sort of like determined, determinism, if everything's determined, um, we thus then have no free will. So then thus, how can we be held accountable for the things that we do if it was all predetermined? And obviously, as I'm saying this, I'm sure you guys can already think of like why that's problematic theologically. If people aren't held responsible for their actions, um, then how can God um, be just? Or how can, you know, some people go to heaven and some people go to hell or, or whatever might come to your mind. Um, so there... I think it's clear that in scripture, we're not talking about that. Like, like Lucas has said, we're not robots. We're not just these um, mindless beings who have been sent out into the world to just, you know, walk through life without any choice. Um, so yeah, that that's sort of like, I wanted to touch on those things before we proceeded further. But um, I don't know, this, this is a very conversational, I mean, this, this is, this is a conversation that has to be had as a conversation like we can't just philosophize about it like this is um this is i mean actually doing real theology as we as we think about our living in the world um our our acting our whatever the things that we do on a day-to-day basis like are these things predetermined in the sense that we like we're going to do them no matter what or if I decided to change my shirt, did that all of a sudden affect the plan of God? Um, like, I don't know. Now I'm just, again, just kind of rambling here. But it, this is a very um, grand and magnificent topic. And I feel like I'm not doing it any justice. So maybe you interject again here. Well, no, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I wouldn't say that I'm going to do any more justice to anything than you but um i i mean i i feel like what we've what we've talked about so far feels to me like the the big things on on this topic right the big ideas around what it means to talk about things like predestination or free will or god's sovereignty or, or that kind of thing um it's probably worth worth saying at least touching on like there there are a pretty i would say wide variety of ways that christians have have thought about and talked about these ideas throughout history um different different traditions different movements different individual theologians and and um thinkers in the church have for the whole history of the church articulated these truths in different ways and interpreted the way that these things fit together in different ways. And some, some people might, might look at some of those, those, 
different uh, uh, positions and they they seem completely contradictory. Like there's no way that, you know, the classic for for us, you know, kind of, you know, evangelical Bible school people, like there's no way a Calvinist and an Arminian could both be right. And, you know, that's probably true. You, You know, like neither is probably you can't have both of them be fully right because they're saying kind of different things. But the point being that what I'm trying to say is there are a lot of different views and Calvinism and Arminianism is just one disagreement in a small slice of, of the theological landscape uh, that's way bigger than either of those systems and, and positions. And at the end of the day, there's a reason why over the centuries so many different ways of talking about these things have have been developed because if it, if it was this sort of super easy you know turn to this chapter and verse and it's just given to us laid out exactly how we're supposed to to talk about it then then i i don't think that it it would be quite the quite the debate that it that it is you know like i'm sure there would still be debate there's always debate and disagreement and and different opinions and stuff but i i think that it's it's easy to get kind of locked into fighting over these kinds of things you know it's just it's just one of those topics that it's really easy to get um not heated but just really invested in in trying to figure out you know because it is such a complex topic and there are so many not just biblical, not just theological, but even philosophical considerations that it takes a lot of <laughs> a lot of brain power and time and work to think through, you know, even half of the things to consider in these conversations, which is why there are so many positions and and you know, we're not capable of of walking through you know, every major position and, and really like explaining it clearly in, in this time frame that we have. But I, I, I only bring this up at all just to remind us of the complexity and the size of this topic and to hopefully um, keep us humble a little bit to recognize that um, obviously have an opinion, do your research, think about it, you know, prayerfully reflect on what God has revealed to us, but with, with humility because many people have come to many differing conclusions on the details of how we inter- interpret certain passages or how certain philosophical concepts fit together, right? Um, and also just to, not just to be a reminder of humility, but also a reminder and an encouragement to the, you know, an invitation to continue thinking about these things, you know, where I feel like we, we say that a lot, especially recently, like this, this, desire to have these ongoing conversations just kind of like kickstarted by our time here um, recording this. But but for real, like this is, you know, I, I suspect this is something we'll come back to. It's something that comes up in a lot of different things. You know, we've it's been on our list of topics to do since before we started this podcast. <laughs> before um, the foundation of the Doxology podcast. Exactly. It was predetermined exactly. that we would talk about this. <laughs> Um, and we, you know, we had our, our, uh, at least one episode on Tulip, (laughs) um, that this is a big, um, uh, this is, uh, these questions are really relevant to talking about things like the, the reformed doctrines of grace, you know, especially in that Tulip 
uh, orientation and stuff. But I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm really saying anything interesting or worthwhile here, but I do think that it's, it's, on the one hand, it bothers me that there are so many disagreements and differing opinions on something about God because I want it to be clear <laughs> and obvious and easy. But on the other hand, it's also encouraging that this isn't something that we're going to sit down for 45 minutes and figure out just two dudes on a podcast. And then you're going to tune in and this is going to be, you know, we can wash our hands of this and, and everything's settled. Right. God's, you know, everything about God is too big for that, but especially something like this. <laughs> um, Again, talking about I, an eternal outside of time it, being in his will for humanity yeah. and all of creation. Exactly. Like, it, it's not a small thing, and it's not a simple thing, and it's not an easy thing. Um, and rather than be discouraged by that, I think we can be encouraged and sort of almost exhorted to continue putting in the work to think about this and asking questions and having the conversation, asking questions of the text, coming to, to, to scripture and, and the relevant passages with questions about how these things are working out, um, coming to questions to, to other thinkers and authors who, who have who worked on this and, that's, that's, and have given us, you know, um, books and reflections on these questions and, and other Christians, you know, like, like we're trying and hopefully succeeding at doing now. So um, there's obviously a million and one other things to be said, but looking at the time and, and the fact that I, like I said earlier, I, I really do think, think that we sort of touched on what's like the most important or, or at least what I would think are the most important aspects of these, these conversations, these doctrines um, I, I, th I think now might, might be a good time to kind of wind down. I don't, okay. I don't know if anything else has come to your mind, but I think that like, maybe we'll do a part two and, and, you know, focus in on some details on, on a certain aspect or something. But I feel like, like for now, I, I feel pretty good about what we've covered. And I, okay. I think, I think we kind of covered the spectrum a little bit of, of Bible and theology and, and kind of trying to hash out how these things play out but um yeah i don't know i don't know i think Any what i'll say thoughts? just yeah in, in conclusion for me i mean on the one hand this is the type of topic this is the type of conversation that i think can lead some i mean when when i told hannah that this is what we were talking about she's like oh that sort of conversation just gives me like stomach aches like like thinking about our the, the you know everything being determined or thinking about um, you know, moral, moral responsibility, like it, it's just, it's enough to make somebody go insane if they thought too much about it. Um, but I think a, a good place to leave this is that, that this big, eternal, omnipotent, um, all powerful being this, this, this God who exists outside of time, um, who knows, like you said, all the stars by name, and not only knows their names, but at this very moment is governing their existence keeping them in their courses, um, all the things that transpire on the billions upon billions of planets, um, like this, this infinite, holy God that on the one hand could be a very aloof, distant God. Um, he could be that type of being, but he, he's not, he is, he is close to us. He is, um, relational. He, he loves us and he loves us so much that he sent his son to, uh, to redeem humanity to restore the cosmos and that God who is so big 
who is so grand is also so near and to to know that he he loves us that he's um wanting to have us know him to know him more uh, like that's that's what this conversation is all about it's not about some philosophical like figuring out the the complexities of how our will and god's will interrelate but uh, what it looks like to live in the world to love a god who who created everything and who sustains everything and um, at the end of time, I think it's maybe these things will be more fully fleshed out. Um, I, that's just my guess that will you know have a better picture into why all these things happen. But uh, for now, at least for me, it's enough to say like I trust in Christ. I trust his uh, his goodness that his his death was foreordained, but that humans acted it out in the world, and the same thing continues today. We. God is decreeing a million and one things. And I think, I think it's John Piper that said like God is doing at this very moment, a million and one things. And we're maybe aware of five of them. Um, it's that, it's that idea that, you know, the, the infinite God is, is always doing, I mean, just think, think for, I had this thought this weekend. I was at, this is completely sidebar. I was not planning this, but I was camping this weekend and I was reading Bob Dylan's autobiography. And he was talking about just in this little segment of New York city in Greenwich village, um, the millions of things that happened every day because, you know, there's millions of people that are just like living and doing things like think about whatever city you live in. I live in a city that has like 15,000 people, right? So those 15,000 people are doing 15,000 different things at this very moment. Um, and God is governing all of it. And at the same time, they are acting freely. Um, so I don't know what to what to make of of all of that necessarily, other than that's that's the way that that this world works, and um, yeah, we 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 serve a good God who um, is loving and compassionate and kind enough to to let us even think about these things, to have the ability to try to rationalize. Um, you know, we're not some little butterfly floating off carefree, but we we have the ability to to think about these things, to wrestle with them. Um, and, and it's an aspect of knowing him more intimately. So those are my closing, my closing thoughts as I tried to, um, I don't know, maybe not harmonize, but just kind of like calm down my own mind as I've wrestled with some pretty weighty topics. So maybe the best way to wind down my mind even further is to uh, read a prayer from the Valley of Vision. It is called the Divine Will. So it, it f plays well into this topic. It says, Oh Lord, I hang on thee. I see, uh, sorry, let me start over. I always do this. I just like, I can't read when I'm like in front of a microphone. <laughs> oh Lord, I hang on thee. I see, believe, live when thy will, not mine is done. I can plead nothing in myself in regard of any worthiness and grace in regard of thy providence and promises, but only thy good pleasure. If thy mercy make me poor and vile, blessed be thou. Prayers arising from my needs are preparations for future mercies. Help me to honor thee by believing before I feel. For great is the sin if I make feeling a cause of faith. Show me what sins hide thee from me and eclipse thy love. Help me to humble myself for past evils, to be resolved to walk with more care. For if I do not walk holyly, that's hard to say, holyly before thee, how can I be assured of my salvation? It is the meek and humble who are shown thy covenant, know thy will, are pardoned and healed, who by faith depend and rest upon grace, 
who are sanctified and quickened, who evidence thy love. Help me to pray in faith and so find thy will by leaning hard on thy rich, free mercy, by believing thou wilt give me what thou hast promised. Strengthen me to pray with the conviction that whatever I receive is thy gift, so that I may pray until pr- that I may pray until prayer be granted. Teach me to believe that all degrees of mercy arise from several degrees of prayer, that when faith is begun it is imperfect and must grow, as chapped ground opens wider and wider until rain comes. So shall I wait uh, thy will. Pray for it to be done, and by thy grace become fully obedient until the end. Amen. Well, let us know if you want more on this topic. Um, as you know, we are always excited to hear from you, and we would love to hear your feedback, your questions, your episode ideas, your desires for a part two, all that stuff. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. You can reach us and find us uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast or by email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And until next time, we will see you.